Well, good morning, Skyview. Welcome. Good to see you all and have you here either in person or online. Um, so I'm the last remaining pastor we got left. I'm kidding. Stu's on sabbatical, Ryan's on vacation, Brittany's on medical leave, um, and there's other volunteer pastors here. So if I make a mistake, they can back me up. But um, this morning, I'm preaching out of Jeremiah 18, verses 1 to 11. So if you have your Bibles on your phone or in person, maybe pull those out, get those ready. And there should be a prayer of illumination we'll read. Um, so I just want to give you a bit of context about the prayer of illumination. Maybe you've been coming for a while or this is your first time. We do this prayer to kind of help our hearts and our minds get ready to hear what God has to share with us and to maybe settle our hearts after music. So if you're wondering, why do we do this prayer? Hopefully that helps you. Uh, but let's pray together. Holy God, by your Spirit, enlighten us, illuminate us, inspire us, not for our sakes, but for your sake, the sake of Jesus Christ, in whom we live. Amen. And before I start reading scripture, I'd just like to open in some prayer, and I would encourage you to pray for your pastors as you go through the week. They go through a lot, and they pray for you, and I think it's the sign of a healthy church if we pray for our pastors and the people that care for us. So let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I give you praise for all the people here, Lord, and give you thanks for each one of them individually. I pray for those who maybe aren't able to come today or who are only able to catch online when they wanted to be in person or who those who are online, I give you thanks for all of them, Lord. And I just lift up our pastoral team that each one of them have their needs met and are comforted by you, Lord, either in health or in mental capacity or in rest. Would you give them that rest, Lord? I pray, come speak and use your word to reach every single one of these people. For your glory alone, Lord, we pray. Amen. So, Jeremiah chapter 18. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down, that's Jeremiah, to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hands of a potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. At any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed. And if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disasters I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and it does evil in my sight, and does not obey me, I will reconsider the good I have intended for it. Now therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and reform your ways and your actions." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I got kind of unlucky that I didn't get to preach on Samson. I feel like it would be very appropriate to preach on Samson today. My mom wants me to get my hair cut. I decided to stick with it. But we got Jeremiah, and that's how it works out. Uh, no, but when I, when I first read this scripture and like actually sat down to reach Jeremiah, 
It was a few years ago in school. I read it for a class focused on Jeremiah. And I actually really liked this passage of scripture. I really connected with the idea of God as a a loving and kind potter, forming clay and molding it into a shape that he wanted. I loved how the process of making pottery is slow, and so it gave me this idea of God being kind and compassionate and slow as he does his work. I even developed a prayer off of this process, a prayer that I liked to repeat to myself when I needed a chance for God to work in me and reform me. The prayer went, God, form me like clay, and if I am not like what you seek, start over and form me again. I loved this idea of God being patient and kind. I don't know if you've ever worked with pottery, but it is frustrating. It never works, it always falls apart, and all I can make is a flat disc. And yet God is willing to work slowly and patiently and kindly. However, when I reread this scripture for you today and started to sit down and think about what was I going to say, I thought about what I, was going to pre- or what I liked from the passage the first time I seriously read it. But then this time as I read it again, I started to notice that my attention wasn't drawn to the potter, but to the language of destruction and evil in humanity. I don't know about any of you, but my attention was fully caught in my fear of this promised destruction, even though God wasn't proclaiming it for everyone or for all things, just to specific people in a specific time, but my attention was caught fully on the destructive passages. I don't know about you, do any of you have that feeling after reading this text? Was your attention caught by the language of, and I'll tear you down if you don't listen to me? I came to realize that I was viewing God in a different light my second time reading this. Where once I was viewing God as very kind, almost a tame animal, now I'm viewing God as a destructive tidal wave over myself. And I don't think either view is actually correct to what Jeremiah had in mind for the image of God. I think both separately are no good. Rather, I think Jeremiah is creating this viewpoint of God as something different, not tame and nor fully destructive. So my goal today is hopefully to help you quell some of this fear of this destructive language of God and yet allow some of God's wrath to exist in our understanding of what God is and who he is to us. I want to explore this idea of that we don't have, need to have fear of the potter's firm and yet kind hands. So, as I researched this passage and wanted to share it with you today, I found an argument online that claims that the clay in the metaphor of the potter and the clay has no choice, has no will in the way that the clay forms. It's simply up to the potter and the potter forms it and fails to form it well and restarts and keeps going. It argues that the potter or that the clay doesn't have a choice to mar in the hands of the potter. It simply reacts. This is interesting because God then shows Jeremiah this is a metaphor for how he, God, interacts with Israel. And yet Israel, as we see in this passage and all throughout the Bible, is constantly making choices to turn away from God, to crumble in God's hands, and to choose other things but God. You can think of tons of examples, the golden calf. Even Jeremiah's story is specifically God seeking to bring his people back to him, and they're like, I'm good. I'll do fine without you. So unlike the clay, Israel can't be fully guilt-free 
of the actions they're doing. They have to at least carry some of the guilt for misshaping in God's hands. God can't be solely um, the reason for the failure of Israel. But there's two things I want to note. The first is that unlike the inanimate clay, the relationship between God and God's people, Israel in this case, but then you and I as well, is much more complex than a potter and clay. It's full of choices and things that we as followers do and that God does with us. It's important to note that God doesn't throw away the clay after he fails or after the clay fails in the potter's hands or after it loses shape. God doesn't toss it to the side and pull a new slab of clay off. God flattens it out and restarts. God is willing to keep working at this piece of clay even as it crumbles in his hands. And it's a slow process as we talked about. It takes time and mistakes and restarts, and yet God is willing to do it again and again. And so for what, me, for what sticks out to me as an important detail to take away from this is it shows me God's grace and patience. Like I was talking about at the start, God has deep grace and patience. And the metaphor that he's using, the potter and the clay, really pulls that out for me. It really reveals it. But then it's also important to note that God's sovereignty over humanity, God's control over humanity, isn't one of cold and iron control. It's not one where God tells us to do something and we have to do it. It's grace-filled patience as we make mistakes and allow ourselves to become misshapen in God's hands. So God doesn't dominate humanity, nor does God need us to worship him. It's a process of us working with God in slow, patient obedience. It's a partnership, if you will, that we work with God and God with us. The second point I wanted to raise about this idea of the clay and the potter is God's willingness to start over with the clay shouldn't be seen as a scary thing. Or it shouldn't be seen as an unloving and cold action. You might see it as God just going, okay, that didn't work. Start over. Dump it on the ground. I actually really think this idea of God being willing to start over and continue is really deep and loving. Even as Babylon is knocking down the doors of Jerusalem, even as the people of Israel are like, I don't need you. Even as Jeremiah is struggling over and over again to convince these people to love him, God is willing to stick with them and not turn away from them. And he even promises a future to this people group who are not willing to listen to him. You know the classic Jeremiah 29:11, everyone's favorite graduation passage? It's not really about graduation, but it often gets lumped into it. It specifically talks about how this generation has failed. But in time, a few generations later, we'll find prosperity and growth. And they only need to continue following God. So this language of destruction in this passage of Jeremiah, when put next to the nature of this patient and kind potter, at least revealed to me that God's wrath is full of grace and hope for his children. I think this language of destruction or wrath either goes two ways. We lean into it a lot and it becomes our whole platform for preaching, or we get the biggest rug we can find and stuff it all under there. Either way, we don't really know what to do with God's wrath. 
And I actually think this passage really shows, at least showed me as I studied it, that God's patience and hope is found within his wrath. That God is willing to not give up on Israel even though they've given up on God. Now I want to offer you a word of caution. One that comes from personal experience. And I'm hopefully trying to show you this image of God that there can be kind and patient wrath. But I want you to be careful not to replace God's wrath with a blind love or complacency. Just because God has patience in his wrath does not mean his wrath is not real. It is very much alive. But the reason I find this passage so powerful is that we can trust that God is deeply loving because even in the midst of Israel's full denial of him, God is still seeking to bring them back. That the wrath that God is showing to us is shown fully and deeply rooted in love. So if we have God without wrath, without this willingness to start over with the clay, then we really just have fake love, cold and hollow, an image of something we want to have, and yet it isn't fully realized. Now I want to sit on this idea of fake or hollow love for a second. Because I think it gets at the idea of an intrinsic problem with humanity. Okay, so are you still with me? Are you still with me? Okay, good, thank you. If Stu isn't around to ask for amens, then I gotta kinda half do it. You're welcome to give them. I never know how to take them. Uh, No, this idea of fake love, an idea if we strip God of certain attributes, then we end up with this fake version of God, is really just like sin and can be used as a tool to try and fill our hearts with meaning and purpose. The image of sin I usually share with someone when they ask me, what is sin? Because to someone outside of the church, or even someone who's starting as a Christian, it can be a complicated and difficult concept to wrap your head around. So I often explain to people that sin is like if each one of us has a hole inside of our soul or inside of our person, and we attempt to fill it with things, I like this idea, and I'm going to explain it a bit deeper because I, get, I think it gets at the idea of why God with wrath and grace are important. So, you have this metaphorical hole inside of you, and it yearns to be filled with something. And as you grow up, you begin to slowly find ways to fill it. Now, sometimes this can be good things. Hobbies, relationships, friendships maybe even serving other people. It makes you feel good in the moment and fills up this hole inside of you that yearns for something, but eventually it'll leave you empty and wanting more. So even good things eventually lead to nothing. And on the other side is sin, actions we do to fill our hole that we know are wrong, and yet that offer that sin gives you is often too tempting to deny. It can look like a wide range of things, and I'm not calling anyone out at all, you know, we all are caught in this struggle with sin, but it can look like different things for different people, but it also tries to fill this hole in your heart. And sometimes it feels great, but again, it's le- it leaves you wanting, often wanting more than you began with. So does that make sense? So now you have this idea of God stripped of his attributes, and we're just using this fake, cold image of God to fill our hearts up to feel good, 
not really allowing God to be real or fully realized. But if we allow God to both be deeply loving and wrathful, this image of a fully sovereign God is that missing piece. God's love, even when harsh and wrathful, is a complete cure to our pain and suffering. Though, this cure doesn't always come across as we expect or want. We may seek a solution to our own pain that isn't the way God intended it, and it doesn't always look like an immediate fix or cure. And yet, because God didn't give up on us when our clay misformed, God won't give up on us when we're seeking him out. God's two-part promise in this image of the potter is that God will never forsake us, and when we follow God, our lives will be full of joy and prosperity. Now, I want to give another caveat. This prosperity I'm talking about can be found in other Christian preaching styles, but I'm talking not about a physical prosperity. I want to make it clear that even in the Old Testament, faithful Israelites following God didn't always have easy lives. No, what I want to talk about is God's promise to Israel through Jeremiah is that God will never uproot them nor destroy them. And all they need to do is continue to follow God and allow God to form them like clay. That's the promise God is giving in this passage. Now, my final point in my sermon is somewhat of a counter-argument to things people have said about Christianity throughout, you know, time and history, through philosophy and different arguments. And I've heard them and come across them as I've talked to people about Christian faith. I worked downtown at the Mustard Seed for the summer, and so lots of people would walk in the door, and I was the assistant chaplain, and the chaplain and I would meet with lots of different people, and so you hear a wide range of arguments for and against Christianity. Some of them compelling, and some of them, yeah, that's an argument, sure. But I've heard this one a few times, and it claims that Christians are using God as kind of a delusion to avoid feeling their feelings, to avoid real-life situations. They claim that Christians' reliance on God and even their repentance of sin is a way to numb ourselves to the realities of life and avoid our problems. Don't know if you've ever heard that argument. Tons like it, and if you want to talk about it more after, I'd be happy to chat with you. And yet, as I've been trying to explore here, hopefully today, our God, one that is both fully deep in grace and has active wrath, directly counters this argument. Jeremiah shows us that faith in God is not always easy, that it's not always what we want, and God is always not a tame animal in our palm. God makes choices, and at times those choices are to take and to destroy. And yet, we find that our God, this kind potter, has firm hands and disagrees with the premise of these arguments, and that we find our faith to challenge us and to push us to grow even in days we don't want to. So where the argument might claim that our faith makes us weak, Jeremiah shows us that our faith in God, in the one whose love is real and unmovable, makes us different and grows us as people. That we seek to know a love that is a permanent fix to the, to the internal hole in our soul. But in the process of coming to know God, we must accept 
that God's love has both grace and wrath. We can't remove one or the other. They both have to exist. Or this whole portion of Jeremiah has to be thrown out. So instead of focusing on the wrath of God out of fear or hiding it under the rug to avoid having to talk about it, let's deal with it. Let's step into a faith towards this loving and wrathful God who, like Jeremiah says, will relent and not inflict the disaster that God has planned. All we need to do is turn and allow ourselves to be molded like clay. So my final question to you as I finish up, is your heart being real with your faith? Have you allowed God to begin to form you using his firm and kind hands? Or are you still hiding from the wrathful grace of God? My hope is that God has not given up on you and that you'd know this, that you can remember this on days that are good and days that are bad. And if this is your first time or your hundredth time finding God, I would suggest to you, call out to God and say, mold me like clay. And if I misshapen in your hands, Lord, tear me down and start again, O holy and wrathful potter. It's a process of trust, trusting in God. And accepting that God has wrath, and yet in that wrath is deep grace, is a part of that trust. That you can believe that God isn't there just to destroy for the sake of destruction, and isn't there simply to love out of blind ignorance. It's the two held together in tension that God is both loving and both wrathful. Let me close in some prayers. I welcome the worship team up. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would remember that your wrath is not there to scare us, nor to hurt us, that you care so deeply about us and would chase after us day in and day out, even as we turn our backs to you. But, Lord, I would pray that we wouldn't remove portions of you to make ourselves feel better or to make you more palatable. We would take you as you are, Lord, your whole image, your full self, as described through the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That we would be excited to come to know you for the first time or the hundredth time. And I pray for my friends, if they are struggling today with this message of your loving wrath, would they reach out for help? Would they find people in their lives, whether it be a pastor or faith friends, to trust and come to and ask for help? And would they come to know you soon, Lord? We give you thanks for this space, God, for your presence upon us all, and for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.